I will be reading 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the suffering of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So glad you're here tonight. We're going to spend some time in 1 Peter chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, you might want to open it up to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're somewhat new to the Bible, that is going to be toward the end of your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 4. I got to tell you that when I go to different congregations, especially around Oklahoma and speak, I'm always asked one question. It's the same question every time. And the question isn't, hey, where did you get that great haircut? (laughs) The question is this. Are you related to David Roper? I can't tell you how many times I've been asked that question. If you've been around a long time, you may know David or you may know of David. He preached uh, in Oklahoma, in Texas. He was a missionary in Australia for several years, and so he's pretty well known throughout Churches of Christ. I think his brother also preaches as well, so a couple of Ropers preaching. And usually what I tell them, knowing what I know about my dad's side of the family is if you're talking about being related to preachers and people who go to church yeah probably not (laughs) we're probably not related I actually met David not long ago and I asked him hey is there any chance that we are related my guess is he has never asked if he's related to me but I'm always asking so I said is there any chance we're related and would you know it that he has done a ton of ancestry study on his family and he said no I don't think so. I don't think those branches ever crossed. And, and so we're not related, or he was too embarrassed to admit that we're related. That's probably the case. But then one day, our family was out at Lake Arcadia. It was a pretty day, and we were just walking along the beach. Riley was, wasn't very old, and we were you know, playing in the sand. And I saw a young man there. This young man had cut off blue jean shorts, no shirt on, and this huge tattoo on the back of his shoulders old English letters, Roper. And I thought, that's fam right there. That's, that's my people right there. So I, so I, I, I went up to him and I said, hey, my, my name is Roper. And, and you know, who's, who's your parents and are we related? And we tried to make some connections and we, we never really made a connection there. Or maybe he was just too embarrassed to say it too. I don't know. But we, uh, we I guess, weren't related. You know, a name means something, doesn't it? A name means something. There is something behind every name. And you probably know that many of our last names have been derived from occupations or responsibilities in the community long, long ago, and they just sort of evolve over time. And so there's that idea of meaning behind names, but there's also other meanings associated with names. If you wear a name, then that name symbolizes a connection, doesn't it? A connection to a, to a larger group of people, to a larger community. We call it family. And so name means something because you are connected through that name to others. And for many of us in our families, our name means that we believe in certain things. We have certain values. We stand for certain things. And maybe we stand against other things. And so there is that idea of meaning behind names and sometimes those names take on reputations there are perceptions from 
others outside, and sometimes inside, but outside of that name with other names who perceive that name a certain way. That's true about families, that's true about people, that's true about businesses and companies. If I say the name McDonald's, some image comes to your mind, some perception comes to your mind. And unless you're seven years old, it may not be a good perception. But there is a reputation, there is meaning behind that name. Same thing with our names. Same thing with the name Christian. You see, if you wear the name Christian, it means something. There is meaning there attached to that name, behind that name. And yes, as a Christian, you are connected to a larger community. There are Christians throughout the world. There are fellow Christians even in this room and as a part of this congregation, but it is a global family. And so it symbolizes, this name does, the connection that we have with others. But it also has meaning in the sense of there are certain things that we believe. There are certain things that are important to us. Values, morals, the Word of God. We believe as Christians that Jesus is the Lord, that He is the Son of God. And so there is that level of meaning and that depth of meaning behind that name. And of course, just like with companies and businesses and family names, there are perceptions of that name, aren't there? There are perceptions from those who don't wear the name about those who do wear the name. And maybe those perceptions are good. We hope so. We're doing everything we can to try to make that happen. But all too often, unfortunately, those perceptions aren't always positive. And so sometimes the name Christian conjures up negative feelings in the minds and in the thoughts of other people. So there's a lot of meaning. There's a lot behind the name Christian. Do you know how many times in the Bible the name Christian is used? Do you know? Three times. Three times. In Acts chapter 11, Stephen has been martyred. He died for his faith. The disciples are scattered. One of the places they go is Antioch. And then in chapter 11, verse 26, as Jews and Gentiles come into the kingdom, into the church, we read this phrase that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. It was a name given to believers by the world. You know, we like to put labels on people. I think that's always been the case. And so a label that the world gave these first century believers is they are Christians. They follow the way of Christ. And then in Acts chapter 26, Paul is giving his defense in front of the local governor and the king of Judea, Agrippa. And they're going back and forth. And finally, in verse 28, Agrippa, the king, says, Do you think that in such a short time you can convince me or persuade me to be a Christian? And he uses that word. Again, we see this word is used by someone who is on the outside, if you will, someone who doesn't wear that name, but they use that name to refer to a follower of Christ. And so it became a way of identifying those who follow Jesus. And you can imagine 
that if this was a name given to believers by unbelievers, if this was a name given to those who follow Christ by those who don't follow Christ, then it wasn't just an identifier. In many respects, it was an insult to be a Christian. And so in many respects, that name and the meaning behind that name became negative. It became negative. The third time it's used in the Bible is in our text tonight. 1 Peter chapter 4, look at verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4, actually verse 16. Peter writes, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you wear or that you bear that name. He says, if you suffer for wearing that name, if the world associates negativity with that name and treats you from that place of negativity, then just know that that's a good thing, that you can praise God. And in many ways, this statement in verse 16 is the thesis statement for Peter's letter. He is writing to a group of Christians who are being persecuted. They are facing intense persecution. And Peter wants them to not get dragged down by the persecution, not get so discouraged that they give up. He wants to give them joy. There is joy to be found. He wants to give them perspective. He wants to change maybe the way they look at those sufferings, at those hardships that they are facing. So in an effort to encourage them and inspire them to keep going, he says, I want to maybe give you a little bit of a different way to view persecution, a different way to see your suffering. Because I'm sure they were like many of us. It is natural to avoid suffering, isn't it? No one in their right mind wants to experience pain. You know, have you ever had a friend, maybe when you were younger, say, man, this is hot, touch it. You're like, okay. You know, that's not common sense. It's kind of like when you say, man, this really stinks. You should smell it. You're like, okay. That's not common sense. People with common sense don't want to suffer. It's not natural to want to face pain. But in this text, we read about an unnatural perspective on pain. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult not to understand, but to adopt. And so Peter wants to encourage these believers He wants to give them a new perspective on their suffering. He wants to inspire them to not give up. So look back at verse 12. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. First of all, he refers to their persecution as what? As facing the fires. That doesn't sound like something I want to do. You know, I don't, I don't even like campfire smoke in my eyes. I don't want the intense heat of the flames of fires. And that's, that's the metaphor he uses here. He's being real. He's being honest. In fact, he's actually used it before in chapter 1. When he says, these fires that you're facing, they are refining your faith. That's good language. These fires that you're facing in the form of persecution, allow them to refine, to strengthen, to purify your faith. You see, the truth is, the fires in life, they can probably do one of two things. They can ruin your faith or they can refine your faith. 
The fires of life can, can destroy your faith or they can build it up. And here's the thing, you get to choose. You get to choose how you respond to opposition. You get to choose how you respond to suffering. You get to choose how you respond to persecution. Will you allow those things, that pressure, that heat from those flames to ruin your faith? Or will you allow them to refine your faith? And then notice what else he says. He says back in verse 12, don't be surprised. This isn't something strange. Don't be shocked. You see, fully engaged followers of Christ should not be surprised when we are the mistreated and misunderstood minority. We shouldn't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Faith does not exempt us from suffering. In fact, sometimes faith invites suffering, especially in a prevailing culture of morals and values that go against the morals and values in the life of the kingdom of God. It stands to reason. It makes sense. So don't be shocked when you turn on your TV and you see something you disagree with. Don't be shocked when you go on socials and you see things that you think shouldn't be there. Don't be shocked when you see evil in our world and do not be stunned when all of that hostility and that opposition turns and targets you if you are one who is representing the kingdom of God. Peter says, don't be surprised, don't be shocked. You should probably expect some form of opposition, some form of persecution. And we know that persecution can present itself in various forms with varying degrees of severity. In many ways, persecution is somewhat relative. It's contextualized. The persecution you face may be different than someone else. And, and i got to be honest, I, I paused to even use that word persecution in Edmond, Oklahoma in 2020, especially in light of what's happening around our world. Christians right now are being abandoned by their families for following Jesus. They are being thrown into prison. They are being executed. That's not an exaggeration. That's happening around the globe. And we get upset when we don't, you know, we miss out on an opportunity or someone says something that hurts our feelings because we're a Christian. Really? And so when I use the word persecution, I do so almost reluctantly. But at the same time, I think we need to call opposition what it is. We need to recognize that there are all kinds of opposition or forms of opposition and forms of persecution. And I listed a few here on the screen, and you could probably add some yourself. Maybe it's just being misunderstood, maybe by your family, and just never really being able to get through to people because they write you off, or being labeled as something that, that you maybe don't want to be, or there's negative connotation with the label that is put on you, or maybe just being harassed or mistreated or resented, being discriminated against, maybe on the job, maybe in social circles, maybe being ignored, alienated because of your lifestyle, because it stands out, because it's different. Or maybe it's literal persecution. Maybe it's physical suffering. Maybe it's your family leaving you or treating you differently. 
or maybe even death. And by the way, we're not talking about all forms of suffering here. I think that's, that's an important point to make. We're not talking about all forms of suffering. Verse 15, he says that some suffering comes because we make bad choices. When we make poor choices, sometimes the consequences are that we suffer. We know that. We also know that we lived in a flawed world, a world that is full of sin and sickness and and disease and death. And sometimes suffering comes our way not because of our faith, but in spite of our faith. And so I think it's important to identify what truly is opposition because of our faith and what may be suffering because we made poor choices or suffering because we live in a broken world. Here, Peter is talking specifically about Christians who are wearing the name of Christ and they are being targeted because they wear that name. So what do you do? What do you do with the opposition that comes your way? For some of us, we just want to run from it, get away from it, avoid it. But I want you to look at what Scripture says. Verse 13, But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. What does Peter say? He says, if you're facing opposition because of the name that you wear as a Christian, rejoice. Find joy in that. And you're thinking, what are you talking about? I can't find joy in that. I'm suffering. But Peter is just passing on what he saw in the life and in the teachings of Jesus, didn't he? Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you're blessed when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He says it's nothing new. Don't be surprised. For generations, God's people have been targeted by the world. You see, the truth is, living under the rule and the reign of an unworldly king will put you in the crosshairs of the world. It invites hostility and harassment from the world. But don't avoid it necessarily. Don't run from it. Peter says, try to find a way to embrace it. And as you embrace it, find joy. Rejoice in it. How can I rejoice when life is tough? How can I rejoice when people are coming after me because of my faith? That isn't fair. That isn't right. How can I rejoice? And we think when we read something like that, well, we're just supposed to smile and go on. You know, it's almost like when we're taking pictures of people, what do we always say right before we take their picture? Smile. That's just a thing. We want people to look happy. Even if they're not happy, in our picture, we want them to look happy. So we always say, smile, and everybody always smiles, generally. It's almost like we think that when it comes to rejoicing and suffering. I got to smile. Just got to 
Got to fake being happy. You know, turn that frown upside down. Force that smile. Is that what he's talking about here? I don't think so. Because false joy, false happiness, that will not endure. That will not persist. That will not get you through suffering. It just won't do it. That kind of joy must come from somewhere deeper. It's not just putting a smile on your face. That kind of joy comes from a perspective, someplace deeper. And I think Peter shares exactly where it comes from. He says, you need to look at your suffering a certain way. You need to see things when you see the opposition that is coming your way. The first thing he says is, you need to see suffering as validation of your faithfulness. It's validation of your faithfulness. Verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Amid the chaos of persecution and suffering, there is God's presence resting on you. His stamp of approval. If Satan is tormenting you, then you must be doing something right. If the world is coming after you, then you must be doing something right for the cause of Christ. Persecution becomes a form of validation. I wonder if the inverse is also true. Is it possible that if I am skating through life, relatively unscathed, and I avoid any form of mistreatment, of opposition, of persecution, is it possible that that could be an indictment on the depth of my faith? Or maybe it's just because I only associate with like-minded people. You see, sometimes it's convenient to wear the name of Christ around other people who wear the same name, and then to remove the name when we're out in the world. I think of it this way. Many of us have gone to trade shows or conferences or conventions, and at all of those conventions, you go and they give you a name tag or a lanyard, and you have your name and you wear that name tag or that lanyard, and everyone there can see who you are, and it's okay because everyone at the convention has a name tag or a lanyard, and you're able to network, and you're thankful because you can see their names, and maybe you forgot someone's name, but it's okay because it's right there, and And so everyone has their name tag on. But then the session or the keynote, it ends, and and you leave and you get in your car, and maybe you go to a restaurant, and you sit down at the table, and the server comes out, and the server calls you by name and says, can I get you something to drink? And you're thinking, whoa, he's good, he's good. Yeah, how'd you know my name? Name tag. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just, convention. I was at a convention here. That's why I still have it on. And then what do you do immediately? As soon as the server leaves, what do you do? You take that thing off, right? Don't want to look like a dork. (laughs) Too late. (laughs) You take the name tag off because you just want to blend in with their surroundings. No one else in the restaurant is wearing a name tag. At the convention center, it was okay. Everybody had on a name tag. It was the thing to do. But now we're out here in the world, and no one's wearing a name tag, and I don't want them to necessarily 
know my name. It's not like I'm ashamed of my name, but no one else is parading around their name, so I'm just going to take this thing off. How many times do we do that with the name of Christ? We come to church and we put that name tag on. Everybody's wearing the name tag. And we glad hand and we know each other's name. And then we go out in the world and what do we do? Someone notices by what we say or do or how we live. Or maybe we say a prayer at the restaurant or something and someone says, Oh, you're a Christian. Oh, no, I've got to take that off. Take that name tag off. I want to blend in. It's not that I'm ashamed of the name. It's just no one else out here is wearing a name tag. God says, when you wear my name and it causes you to experience pain and trouble from the world, it means your faith is real. He applauds you. And that should bring us joy. We should be able to rejoice in being commended by God and having his approval rest on us. And so Peter says, look at suffering as a validation of your faithfulness. Secondly, he says, look at it as an identification with Jesus. Identification with Jesus. Just look at the life of Jesus. So many people in power got sideways with Jesus because he turned their worlds upside down. And so they insulted him. They talked about him. They criticized him. They threatened him. They looked down upon him. And ultimately, what did they do? They beat him, they shamed him, they spit on him, they mocked him, and they murdered him. It cost him his life. And here we read in verse 13 that we are able to participate in the sufferings of Christ, with Christ. No way to the extent that Christ suffered. But whatever form of opposition comes our way, we get to participate with Christ the one who suffered for us. Paul wrote in Philippians 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, and what else? Participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. When opposition is the direct result of your faithfulness to Jesus, you can take comfort in knowing that you are becoming more and more like Jesus that your heart and your mind, that your life is being transformed more and more into the image of Christ and that you are learning to carry your cross just as he did. Third, we see suffering as an end, anticipation of future glory. The end of verse 13, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. One day, God's glory will be revealed in its fullness. Not just a glimpse, not just partially, not a portion. No, no, the fullness of God's glory will be revealed one day, and we will be witnesses to it. And I don't necessarily think that means we'll have all of our why questions answered or understand fully how everything fits together. I'm not even sure we will really care because we will be caught up in the goodness and the glory of God. And whatever we went through in this life will pale in comparison to the glory of God in the next life. 
And by the way, Peter writes that those people who are attacking you, those people in the world who are coming after you, well, they too will face judgment. Back in our text, verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? When I was a kid in our little church, we sang that song, This world is not my home. I'm what? Just a passing through. We've got to put that a passing through in there to put a little kick into it. I'm just a passing through. This world is not my home. It's so easy to get caught up in our circumstances. It's so easy to get caught up when people are coming after us, when we are being treated unfairly, when we're facing criticism because of our faith. It's so easy to get bogged down. But this world isn't our home. We're just a passing through. So Peter says, see suffering as validation, see it as identification, and see it in anticipation. And so what do we do? Where do we go from here? Well, he answers that question too at the end of our section of Scripture, verse 19. So then those who suffer according to God's will should do what? They should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Keep on keeping on. Don't get discouraged. Don't be shocked if someone comes after you because you wear the name of Jesus. And unfortunately, sometimes it might even come from someone who also claims to wear that name. But don't be surprised. Try to embrace your suffering as validation of your faithfulness as identification with Jesus as you participate in his sufferings and anticipation of the future glory that awaits. Persecution only intensified for Peter's audience, I think. In fact, just a few decades after Peter penned these words, the Roman governor, Pliny, wrote a letter to the Roman emperor, Trajan, asking him, how do I handle these Christians? What do I do with these men and women who wear the name of Christ? They wanted to compare notes to see what they should do with Christians. This is an excerpt from his letter. He says, I have never taken part in an investigation of Christians, so I do not know what to charge, so I do not know what charge is usually brought against them. Neither do I know whether punishment is given just for the name of Christian, apart from secret crimes connected with the name. This is the course I have taken. I asked them if they were Christians. If they said yes, I asked them a second and third time with threats of punishment. If they still said yes, I ordered them to be executed. Those who denied being Christians, I thought it right to let go. They recited a prayer to the gods of my dictation, or at my dictation, offered incense and wine to your statue, the emperor, and cursed Christ. Those who are really Christians cannot be made to do these things. You see, it wasn't too long after this time that those Christians who wore that name, Christian, also 
were given another name, a different name. They were called atheist. Because the prevailing culture was so pagan with emperor worship and pagan god worship that if you declared worship to the one and only God through his son Jesus, you were considered an atheist. And they did not treat atheists well. Now today, our persecution probably looks nothing like that. My guess is no one here is going to be cornered and interrogated and asked, do you believe in Jesus? And if the answer is yes, that you're going to lose your life. I doubt that will happen. But it might. Who knows? But whatever comes your way, whatever opposition you face, you can find joy. You can rejoice because you are sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. You are being validated by God as he rests on you. And you are anticipating something that far outweighs what you're going through here, the future glory of being with God for eternity. Tonight, if we can encourage you or lift you up in prayer, we'd be happy to do that. Or maybe tonight you're ready to give your life to Christ to make that confession that has cost people their lives for generations that Jesus is Lord, to be baptized into Christ. If we can help you tonight, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.